Good morning. It's great to see all of you here together this morning. Glad that you, you are with us uh, today. I just got to say, uh, we didn't, that, that went much better than our attempt at acapella doing the song last week. Uh, so that, that was good. I just want to remind you of a couple of things too. As a church, like we value like dialogue. We value discussion and, and asking questions and, and stuff like that. Ways that we can, we can help each other in our faith. And so just a moment that happened with, with me last week. So I was, we were teaching on, I was teaching on rest and about having Sabbath and doing that sort of thing. And, and Etronam and I were having a conversation about rest, and she asked me, and she was like, so does this include your running? Like, do you rest when you're running? And I was just kind of like, I know I should, but I don't really like doing that. And so like, as I, we were having that conversation, I, like, it was actually really convicting to me. And so I've added that into my, my Sabbath routine is that that's a day I don't run. And even though I, I wish I could, even though I like doing it, it's a day that it's like, I know what, I need to rest. And this, this is part of that. And so like, this is valuable things that we can have with one another, ways that we can encourage one another, dialogue with one another. And I just, I hope that you guys find that, find that helpful as well. So as we're thinking about exercise, we're thinking about uh, running and different stuff. Anybody ever gone to the gym? Just a raise of hands. Anybody ever gone to the gym? So there's been a few times in my life that I have gone to the gym and I've gotten a gym membership. And I don't know if you know this, but like when you get a gym membership, they always like to offer like, hey, it's cheaper if you pay for a year. And I think they like, no, hey, he's going to go for like a couple of weeks and then we're going to make all this free money. That was me. But I would get this gym membership. I'd see what people were doing. I was like, you know what? I got to go to the gym. I got to get, I got to get ripped. I got to get in better shape. I want to tone my body. And so I would get a gym membership and I would go for a few times. And the thing was like, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I don't know how to gym. And so I would see, and I'd, I'd look over and see somebody when like this, this doing this on this machine. I'm like, I'll do that. And so I'll go to this machine and I'll do this for a little while. I'm like, okay, that's good. And then I'll see somebody doing something with their legs. I'm like, all right, let me try that. And I just like, we'll start doing this. And there's people with like dumbbells doing like, doing this. I'm like, oh, they're grunting. I got to make sure I grunt. And I'm like, got like a, a two or three kg. And I'm like, like, it's not actually that hard, but this is what I hear people doing. And I, I just don't know what I'm doing. And finally, after like 10 minutes, I'm like, forget this. I'm going to the treadmill where I know what I'm doing. And like, I'll get on the treadmill and that would be my workout. And I wasn't really smart enough or took the time enough to be like, hey, you could look on online and on YouTube and find some workouts that you would know what to do. But I, I had no clue what I was doing. But I would go and I'd try, to, I'd try to do things. And after a few weeks, days, whatever, I would just realize like, hey, I'm not really getting the results. Like, I don't look ripped like that guy. Or I don't look like I'm in shape like that girl. And, and you know what? I, I would just quit. I would just give up and like, forget it. I try. This, just, this gym thing isn't for me. It's a long drive. It, I don't really have the time. And, and I, would, I was hoping for these results, but it, they weren't exactly coming. And I wonder if that's ever how we feel with our faith. Like we, we show up to church. We're like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to be at church. I'm going to be in community group. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do the things that I'm supposed to do. I'm going to see what's happening. I'm going to do those things. But yet, I, I don't see any results. Like, things aren't really working. My, my, my spiritual muscles aren't getting bigger. My, body isn't, my spiritual body isn't getting toned the way that I want it to do. And we don't really know what we're doing. And we come to church, we know that's what we're supposed to do. But we have a hard time actually seeing, what, seeing the results. We have these good intentions, these things that we want to do, these things we want to see happen in our lives. But we just kind of have a hard time seeing the way that we get there. And here's what I want us to make sure we see. This is what this whole series has really been about. If we want to experience the life that Jesus promised, we have to live the life that Jesus practiced. 
It seems simple, right? Like if we want this life, like we read about this life that Jesus has, he talks about life to the full. He talks about life, an abundant life. And we're like, yes, that's what I want. I want to do that. I want to have that in my life. And, and so we start showing up to church. We start doing these things. But we're just like, okay, my, my, I'm doing these. I'm having, I'm coming to church. I have faith, but, but it's not really doing what I want it to do. And so that's what this series has been all about. It's about figuring out these rhythms of actually doing the things that Jesus does. Taking time to, to Sabbath. Taking time to, to abide. Taking time for our mind and our body and for our relationships and allowing those habits, allowing those rhythms to actually start to shape us, to become what we're supposed to be. And if you remember like what Jesus talked about, we read this passage from Matthew 11 last week. Jesus says, I'll show you. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me and learn. And so Jesus is offering us this invitation. It's like, this is what it looks like to have the life that I've promised. Is you have to live the life that Jesus practiced. So as we walk through the Bible, as we walk through the story of Jesus, it's not just like these good ideas, these good concepts. Like, okay, good. I'm glad Jesus did that for them. It's, it's seeing like, okay, this is the way that I'm meant to live. Funny enough, in two, two or three weeks, I think it's three weeks, we're starting studying the book of Mark, walking through the life of Jesus. Because if we want to know the life of Jesus, we want to do the things that Jesus did, we got to know the life of Jesus. So we're going to study through the book of Mark together. And so this is what this has been all about, figuring out how we can actually practice the life that Jesus practiced. Today we're talking about, about work. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm weird. I have always liked work. Like, I've always enjoyed it. I didn't say this last week about rest. One of the reasons I have a hard time resting is because I really enjoy working. Since I was a kid, like, I'm talking like eight and nine years old. During my summer break, my dad owned a propane company. So during my summer break as an eight and a nine-year-old, I would go to work with my dad throughout the summer. And I would, I would, I would work on tanks. I would paint tanks. I'd, I'd scrape buildings and paint buildings. I would do all, I would dig holes in the ground for trenches for for propane lines like I just enjoyed working it's what I've, I've always enjoyed it and then I like when I was 12 years old I got my first like full-time summer job I was working at a farm and and I did that through my 12 when I was my whole summer is 12 and 13 and 14 is like I just I've always liked working and I don't know about you I don't know what your views are on work. Maybe, maybe you love your job maybe you hate your job I don't know maybe you're in a dream job or in a dead-end job I'm not sure about what our views on what your views are on work. I know some of you, but all of I don't know what all of your views are. But I think what's really important for us is this: is our faith is formative to the way that we view work. Our faith is formative to the way that we view our work. And just to be real honest, our faith is formative to the way that we view everything, not just our work. But I just want to make sure that we see this: like when we begin to to see our work through the lens of our faith stuff begins to, to look a little different. We start to, to see things differently. We start to do things differently. It changes the way that we, we look at work. It gives us a different lens to see the way that we're working. We start to look through everything that we're doing and through the lens of faith. So what we begin to see is that work isn't this necessary evil for us to survive. But what we see is we look at this through the lens of faith. It's an opportunity for us to, to extend grace. It's an opportunity for us to love. It's an opportunity for us to serve. And it starts to see work. We start to see it much, much differently when we look through, through our faith, when we begin to look through the lens 
of it. And so this is, the, this is the premise we're going to be working on today, is when we look through our work through the lens of the gospel, when we see our work through the lens of, of our faith, it can become more satisfying. It can become more rewarding. It can, be, it, it can be more purposeful. And that's what we're going to see here. Because the reality is, I don't think most of us think of work that way. Because a lot of times when we see work, or we see people who are working, we, think, we, we see it and it's like most ugly form, not in its purest form, but in its ugliest form. Work where people are just full of ambition and greed. Where like, you know, my, my, I don't have to check my pride at work because I'm chasing this, this deal. I'm chasing this, this promotion. So my pride really doesn't matter here. Or, or maybe like this, this greed. I just want more and more and more. Like, yeah, I know the Bible talks about not being greedy, but this is at work. And so I'm going to chase that. Or, or you know, people who, who's like, I, I check my integrity at the door because this is work. And so we begin, sometimes we see work in its most ugly form, not in its purest form, but as followers of Jesus, we look at things differently. And follow, as followers of Jesus, we do things differently. Because work in its purest form, it can be an expression of grace. It can be an expression of love. It can be an expression of justice. Just, just think about this for a few minutes. Just think about like, some of the jobs that might happen. Maybe you, maybe you work at a grocery shop. And, and as you're there, like, you start to see these, these people who are struggling to make ends meet. And so it gives you an opportunity to extend grace to these people. To be generous to the people who, who need it. Maybe if your job is working at a law office, like you get a chance to, to come alongside the people who are innocent and help them get justice that they deserve. Like our work, regardless of what it is, like it can be an extension of grace. And we're going to see that even more so in just a few minutes. And so as we, as we work and as we align our work with the kingdom of heaven, as we align our work with what Jesus has for us, we start to see things start to see things differently. Our work begins to take on a different shape than, than just something I do, something I make money, but something that truly changes. And so one of the things that we got to see at the very beginning is that originally work wasn't a bad thing. So originally work wasn't a bad thing. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, okay, you haven't met my boss. You haven't met my coworkers. Like, yeah, clearly it's, it's a bad thing. But if we flip all the way back to Genesis 2, look at the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, we get some really good stuff there in Genesis 2. We get the concept of rest and of Sabbath, but we also get this idea of work. Look in verse 15, Genesis chapter 2. Here's what it says. It says, The Lord placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to watch over it. Catch that? Catch the word to. He placed them in the Garden to tend it and to watch over it. So originally, from the very beginning, work has been at the core of, of who we are. It's been something that we are meant to do. Adam was placed in the garden to work. And this word tend is really important. It's a, it's a really cool word for us. It's this idea of, like, of working, of laboring. But we find this fascinating is that this word tend is actually about like expanding, giving considerable amount of energy. So I've, I've heard it said that, that work wasn't part of the curse. Hard work was. I don't think that's true. Because what we see here is like this is hard work. Like this is, this is work. And so what, what we're seeing is, is work was part of God's design. 
Even hard work, part of God's design. Laziness was never the design of, that God had for his people. Anytime in scripture that we read about people sitting back, eat, drinking, and be lazy, it's always a negative thing. So work was something that, that God has and he desires for us to be. And it wasn't until sin enters the world in Genesis 3 that we start to see the change. Now, work is, is still hard. But there's a different concept, there's a different nuance here that's important for us. So flip to Genesis 3, verses 17 through 18, or through 19. This is the, this is the curse that, that God gives for, for sin. It says this, and, and to man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grain. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. You were made from the dust, and to dust you will return. So what we begin to see is the curse is there's a shift that begins to happen. Our work becomes less fulfilling. Our work becomes less, less meaningful, less, less, less good. And what we start to see is like work wasn't the curse. Hard work wasn't the curse. Thorns and thistles were. There's a word in here that can be translated as misery. That's the idea here. This work of misery as we're tending the land, like as, as people begin to work, what, he, what Adam begins to find is thorns and thistles and nettles. Like everybody hates nettles. Like that's part of the curse. Like we begin to see these things like, and this, this difficult work that begins to happen, it is going to be even harder now to, that, the, to eat the, the herbs that are, that he's growing, to, to eat the fruit that is growing or the vegetables that he's growing, because there's going to be these unwanted things that are going to start battling for them. So in, in our house, there's a, we have a, like a flower garden in front of our house. And when we first moved, Tiffany was like, Hey, I want a flower garden. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I don't want to do anything with it. I, I hate gardening. I hate doing that stuff. Like if, it, like, if I grab a, a plant or something that says, like, it's guaranteed to live, I will kill it. Like, I'm just not very good at it. I don't know why, but I'm just, I'm not a gardener. Don't like it. Never have. And so I told Tiffany, you, sure, we can get flowers. That's great. I don't want to touch it. I'm not going to touch it. And, and so she's like, okay, that's fine. And so we get this garden. Our, our landlord puts the garden out there and he gets it ready. And, and we haven't planted in the garden yet. And it begins to grow up. And I remind Tiffany, hey, I'm not touching that. I'm not touching that. And guess what happened? I, I go out and start weeding the garden, right? And as I'm doing it, I'm just thinking to myself, I was like, dang it, Adam. Like, I, I just hate this. Like, I can't stand. I, I don't like it. But it's like, you'd go and I'd like, get ready to grab, and I don't know why I wasn't wearing gloves, but I'd go and grab some weeds and like, there's nettles all in there. And I'm like, whoa. And then I'd go and grab like another weed and there's like thorns and thistles everywhere. And, and like, this is what, this is what gardening is like if you've done it before. Like, this is what it looks, this is what it's like. And this is the curse that begins to happen is, is there is misery that is going on. It's by the sweat of the brow. There's this battle that's going on. And, and so this is, this is what begins to, to shift. This is what begins to happen as, as sin enters the world. Is the ground becomes cursed. And, and ultimately, Adam's going to return to the ground from which he came. He's going to come back to it. He's going to die. And so regardless of what your work situation is like, I don't know what your job is like. I don't know what you think about your job, but regardless of what it's like, can I remind you of something? Is there is a difference between your career and your calling. There is a difference between your career and your calling. A career 
is what you're paid for. A calling is what you're made for. Our jobs, our careers, they differ. Like, our, they're, they're different. But our calling, our mission, to make Jesus known, to glorify him in our work, to bring honor and glory to him, to be a representative to him, that's the same across the board. So what we are called to is the same. Our careers may differ. Our calling, it's the same. And so maybe as we talk about work, maybe you're thinking and maybe you're, you're, you're having this idea of like, you know, I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mom or I'm a stay-at-home dad. And as you think about work, it's like, where does this fall in? And, and as someone who stayed home with their kids from time to time, like that's hard work. That's, that might be the hardest work. Um, but like, what, we, what, are, what is our role in our calling? Your calling is to raise godly children who are going to turn into godly adults who, who love Jesus and, and live for him. That's, that's a job. So as parents, maybe one of the greatest things you do for the kingdom isn't something you do, but someone you raise. And we can still see this being the case. And so there's this, there's this call for each of our lives is we are all called to make Jesus famous, to make Jesus known, to help the world see what Jesus is like and tell them about him. And so we, we use our jobs to do this. And so as we walk through the Bible, what I find fascinating is we, as we walk through the Bible and we start to develop this, this biblical idea of this biblical rhythm of work. There's two, two camps that we can fall in with our jobs, with our occupations. There's two camps we can fall in. Either occupation one that we see in the Bible is you leave your occupation, or number two is you leverage your occupation. Like, that's it. That's the list. There's, there's no neutral. There's no like, well, okay, I just, my work doesn't really have much to do with my faith. It's not really that important. No, they, we can't separate it. There's no neutral. We either... Either leave, we see this in the Bible, or, or we leverage. So I want us to look at leverage, or look at leave first. So in your Bibles, it's, look at, uh, at Luke chapter 5. Luke 5. We get the story of Jesus calling a few of his disciples in, in Luke 5. And we find the guy called Levi in verse 27, Luke 5. We could also call him Matthew. It's up to you, whatever you want to call him. Matthew, Levi, same guy. But in, in, in Luke 5, 27 through 28, here's what it says. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. So we see he, he leaves his job. He leaves it for the sake of, for the, sake of the kingdom. But I think it's important for us to see kind of this idea of what a tax collector was in the Bible. Now, sometimes maybe we think of a tax collector as that unfriendly like government employee who, employee who shows up every once in a while and wants some money. Maybe that's, maybe that's our thought. Like, we don't like them because they take our money, but like we don't have this deep-seated hatred for them. That is not the case in the time when Jesus is writing. Like, what would happen is for, for Matthew or for Levi... He was a Jew, a Jewish guy who had sold himself, sold his soul to the Roman government to, to, make a month, to make money by taxing his own people. This is what he's done. He is this, this government that the Jew, Jews hate, the Romans, he has sold himself out and now he, is, he makes his money by, by making up numbers on the fly. So maybe you owe 20 euro in taxes. So he comes up to you and like, hey, you owe 63 euro. And he would settle accounts and he would keep the rest. And this is how a tax collector made money. This is how a tax collector would, 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 be, would have their livelihood. 
And so people hated tax collectors. They, they feared them. They dreaded them. They didn't want to make eye contact with them. They never wanted to be around them. And what we find fascinating is, is he's by the seaside. And there were four other people that Jesus has just called to be his disciples. And they were all fishermen. So more than likely, Levi or Matthew has been taxing the, the fishermen, probably the guys that Jesus just called. And so there's undoubtedly probably the sons of thunder, James and John, want to punch Levi. I would just assume that's happening here. Like, that's kind of this idea. Like, this is how people feel about tax collectors. Like, so he shows up and Jesus says, come and follow me. And Jesus is offering Levi something so much different. He's offering him the promise that he, that he offers, but he's also offering, he's also showing him to live the life that he practiced. He's calling him to be an, a disciple. He's calling him to be an apprentice, to work, to, to do the things that, that Jesus called him to do. And here's what we find in 28. Again, it says, so Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. And so maybe we think like Levi just leaves all the money scattered around and just goes like, it's probably not what happened. Levi probably goes to his superiors. He goes to his bosses. He settles the accounts. He turns in his badge. He gives away his keys and he's done. And I think it's really significant for us to realize what Levi is walking away from is like, there is no coming back from this. There are tons of people who are lined up to take this job from Levi because it is a very well money-making job. People are, would be like queued up to take this job. With the, with the fishermen, like they could always go back to their job. Actually, they do after Jesus dies for a little bit. But for Levi, when he closes up shop, this is for the very last time. No one, he's, he's not getting this job back. And so he leaves for the sake of the kingdom. He leaves for the sake of the gospel. Undoubtedly, he had heard something that Jesus taught. He had heard what Jesus has talked about. And he, he, he's willing to leave his job for the sake of the kingdom. He leaves it. And he, he walks away. And so that's the first is, is leave. The, let's look at leverage next. So let's look at Luke chapter 19. Flip a little farther back in, in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 19 we get a story about a guy called Zacchaeus. Perhaps you're familiar with Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Like, I don't know why in church when we sing that song, and I do that song with the kids, I always do like a guy like this big. Like, that would just be like, I don't know why this is a wee little man. Um, but like, he's, he's a small guy. Uh, we don't know how wee, how small he is, but he's, he's short. So let's read his story in, in chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was passing by that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. He said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his home in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And, I have, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this house today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. I think it's really fascinating. We see with, with Zacchaeus. 
opposed to Levi, the tax collector. There's no call to, to leave it all. There's no call for him to, to, to sh- close up shop, to quit being a tax collector. We don't see that here. There, there's none of that. But we still see he has an encounter with Jesus. And what begins to happen is what Zacchaeus does do, he isn't told to, to close up his shop. But what he does do is he gives half of his income to the poor. And I think that's really significant. Because what we begin to see is the poor are the people that move the heart of God. The poor are the people that that God cares deeply about. And so here's one of the ways that our job can be an expression of grace and justice and and love is we care for the people that God cares about. We care, we take care of the people that God cares for. When When we work, when we make money, we use that, we leverage that to care for the people that move the heart of God. This is what Zacchaeus does. He he gives to the poor. He cares for them. Not only does he do that, but he also says, I will pay back anyone I have cheated four times as much. And man, this is is incredible. Like the the surprise when, when Zacchaeus shows up at people's door, the surprise isn't, hey, I cheated you on your taxes. They they know that is happening. The surprise is that he's that he's making it right. The surprise is that he's paying them back. Not only that, he's paying them back with interest. And can you guys just imagine for a minute the conversations that must have happened during this encounters, during these encounters? Like Zacchaeus goes, he, he knocks on the door and is like, hey, man, I'm sorry. You actually only owed 20 euro, but I took 80 from you. And so I'm going to pay back four times as much as, as what, I, what I took from you. So here's, here's 240 euro. Like, just think about this. I think my math is right. But like, just, but just think about that. Like, think about the conversations that must have taken place. He's like, I know I, I cheated from you. And guess what? I'm sorry for that. And I have met a man who canceled my debts. I have met a man who, who did not hold what, what I cheated against him. And so I've got to make this right. And so he goes and he has this opportunity to leverage his life, leverage his job for the sake of the gospel. Just imagine the conversations that Levi could have had. Imagine the conversations that we can have if we are people who are leveraging our job, whether in the workplace, outside of the workplace, whatever it may be. Imagine the conversations we can have if we are living the way of the Bible. If we are living this biblical rhythm of work, just think of the conversations that we can have with people. What we see here. Two stories, two tax collectors, two meals, two encounters with Jesus, two lives changed, two completely different calls, two completely different directions that they go. So what's it going to be? Leave or leverage? What, are you, what, are, what, is it, what is it for you? I mean, for many of us, work is where we spend the majority of our time. Studies say that we spend more time at work than we even do sleeping. So what are we going to do? We cannot separate our work life from our, from our faith. So how are we, going to, are we going to leverage that? Are we going to use it for the sake of the gospel? In this passage that we just read a few minutes ago in Colossians 3, verse 17, I think this is really important for us. It says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Catch that word, Representative. What if when we showed up to work, we put on our polo, whatever you have to wear to work, whatever. You put that on and it's like, you know what? I represent my company, sure. But more than anything, I am representing Jesus. And that is the person that I am going to represent. When I go, when I make a phone call, 
I am representing Jesus more than I'm just representing my company. I am going to represent him and I'm going to represent him well. Like just think about like the way that this begins, begins to work. And so as we begin to think about work, and, and I think it's really cool that we're doing work right after, right after rest. Because I think we tend to think of work and, and rest as, as two sides of, a, a, of, a, of the same coin, right? They're like separate sides. We think, okay, work is over here. Rest is over here, and they don't really collide because I don't want to bring my work life into my rest life, and I don't want to bring my rest life into my work life. And so we tend to think of them as completely separate things. But here's what we begin to see, is they are very, very connected. Is the biblical rhythm of rest, it complements the rhythm of work. And here's what we, what we see. When we rest better, we work better. We have a stronger body a fresher mind, like more endurance, more energy, and we can work. We can work better. We can get our work done quicker. This affords us more time to, to rest. We don't have to bring work home when we're supposed to be resting. And this, this rhythm begins to work itself out and begins to complement each other. And, and all my life, I have, I have said and I have believed, and some of you probably have even heard me say this, that I work better under pressure. Like, I love the pressure when it comes to work. I love deadlines. I like when things are almost about to be due and it's like, I don't get this done. Everything is going to, this sounds really dramatic. Everything's going to fall apart. No, it's not really going to fall apart. But I just love this idea of like, I love the pressure. And I used to always say, I work better under pressure. So I would try to like manipulate pressure and give myself deadlines and stuff like that so that I would do my best work. And come to find out, as I've been practicing Sabbathing, that's actually not true. I don't do my best work when I'm under pressure. I actually do my best work when I'm rested. When I'm rested, I, I work better. I do what I'm meant to do, and it, it works out better. I accomplish more. I produce better. I do the things that I need to do better when I'm rested. And far more important than just doing more and doing better, being well-rested, practicing the, the biblical rhythm of Sabbath, it's putting us in this mindset of actually following the way of Jesus. And so things begin to change the way that we view things when we're giving, we're putting our, our trust in Jesus in this way, when we start to see our work differently, and that begins to shape the things that we do. More importantly, like we start having eyes for the people that, that God has eyes for. We start having a heart for the people that God has a heart for because we begin to walk through this rhythm of life. We begin to align our lives with Jesus in this way, and it continues to, to carry on in, in, different, in different ways. We start to see the people that God cares about. And so rest and work, these are things that are, are really connected. And so as we think about work, we think about what we get, we think about our money, it really is the question of like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with it? And Jesus tells us a story in, in Luke 12 of what not to do with it. So look at Luke 12. Jesus tells us a story. It's a parable, short little story for us. Luke 12, starting in verse 15. Here's what Jesus writes. He said, Beware, guard against any kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich young man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, What should I do? I don't have enough room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my, my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room in, to store all my wheats and other, good, other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. 
But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you have worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth and not have a rich relationship with God. Notice this guy's biggest problem is what am I going to do with all of my stuff? This is the problem that the guy is, is dealing with. Good thing that's not a problem that we have anymore, right? Good thing that was only in Jesus' day, not in our day, like, because shelving companies aren't making money. Like, storage companies are one of the most wealthy companies. One of the best investments you can make is a self-storage company. And so we are all having this issue, like, what are we going to do with all of our stuff? And so what we begin to see is, like, this life of simplicity, this life of, life of just, just less, not, not wanting more, not always desiring to, to get more, to, to have more, and just saying, no, like, that's not the way of Jesus. I mean, what, like, the great theologian, the notorious B.I.G. says it well. He says, mo' money, mo' problems, right? And, like, that's, that's the reality. And this guy's biggest issue is, like, what is he going to do with everything that he has? Like, it's very easy to see this guy's problem here in the story, right? Like, listen to this. Listen to, to what he says. Himself, I, I, my, I, I'll, my, I'll, my, I'll, myself, you. He even calls himself my friend. Like, just think about that. Like, if you live a life like this guy, you're going to have to call yourself my friend because you're not going to have many. And so he literally is saying my friend to himself. Like, his, his focus is all, it's all on him. It's all on what he can do, what he can have. His work isn't about leveraging or, or leaving. It's all about him. And so we, we begin to see this, like, he, he, he's, he's erred in a couple of different ways. First is, is obvious, like, he's thinking, like, all of it is about him. He's also erred in forgetting who is the one who is producing the crops. Who is the one who has given him the fertile farm? Who is the one who is providing all of this for him? And so he gets this, he has this opportunity, he's like, okay, God, you have given me all this stuff. How can I use that for you? But he doesn't do that. He just thinks, okay, now I can have all this stuff. I can sit back. I can be lazy. I can eat, drink, and be married, marry, and it's, it's not good. And Jesus like bookends this story by telling us the, the principle. It says, beware against all, every kind of greed. Life is not measured by what you own. And he ends by saying, yes, a person is a fool to store up worthy wealth, earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And here's the issue with wanting more. And this is, this is personal. This is what I've learned in my life is it, wanting more always leaves you what? Wanting more. Like, because it's, it's never enough. It never satisfies. A few months ago, I had to replace my watch. My watch was going bad. And so I, so I got a new watch. And I was really excited. And guess what? After a couple of weeks, it's still a watch. Like, it's still like, it's not like bringing me satisfaction. It's not like, oh, now, now I'm finally good. Or, or maybe it's like a, a new pair of shoes. It's like, oh, if I just have this one new pair of shoes, everything will be good. Or if I could just get this car, if I could just get this one other thing, then everything will be fine. And we all know, like, it's not true. But we keep chasing it anyway. We, we keep trying to say, well, that might not be true, but maybe, but maybe this time, maybe this time that won't be true. I mean, it's, it's kind of like an itch. You scratch it, feels good for a minute, but usually what happens? It comes back even worse. And like, that's the problem with, with, with more. Is like, there's always this temptation. There's always this desire for just more, more. There's more desire for, for more. 
And so this is, this is what greed is. It's this is desire for more. I don't know if you guys ever experienced the craze of Snuggies. Have you heard of these? Like, what Snuggies are is it's, it's a blanket with sleeves. It, essentially, it's a dressing gown you just put on backwards. And like, but this is like a multi-billion euro company. Like, and what ca- caught me about the Snuggie wasn't how soft they were, how great they were, because they weren't. Um, what caught me was, was the slogan. Their slogan is this, you will never be satisfied until you, earn, until you own a Snuggie. That's a pretty bold claim, right? That's a pretty arrogant claim. This is what, this is what greed does, right? It says, oh, you won't be satisfied until you have this. Literally, this is every single marketing campaign. Whether they say these words or not, this is what every single thing is saying. This is the message of greed. And so greed, it's the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Greed says what this guy says. Now, what am I going to do with my stuff, my barns? I can, now I have all that I need, and I can sit back and, and be happy. Like, this is what greed says. Is it's, it's, all for, it's all for me. Greed asks, what can I get? Generosity asked, what can I give? Anyone want to guess which way is the way of Jesus? The one who humbles himself, becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. The one who takes the lowly nature of a servant. The one who washes the feet of his disciples. Anybody want to guess which one is the the way of Jesus? The way of greed or the way of of generosity? I think we we know. (laughs) It's, It's the way of generosity. And we see this and we see something interesting about Jesus in Matthew or in Luke 9, Luke 9, 40 or 59, 58, sorry. Luke 9, verse 58, Luke 9, verse 58. Here's what Jesus replied. He says, foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to even lay his head. So now there. There's actually a lot of debate on whether Jesus was homeless or not. Like, it seems like from this passage, it, it would seem that he is. But, like, apparently you Google this, and there are a lot of people who are very, have very strong opinions one way or the other. And, and so here, whether Jesus is homeless or he doesn't own a home, maybe he could be renting, maybe he—we we, we don't know, okay? Like, there's a lot of debate about this. So let's just say we don't know for sure. But here's what we do know. We know that Jesus didn't just stay home. Right? We know that Jesus' mission wasn't, okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna build a, I'm gonna get married, I'm gonna have a family, I'm gonna have two and a half kids and a dog in the yard. That is not Jesus' vision for life, right? That's not what, he, what he's about. Because if we look at, at Matthew chapter 9, what it says about Jesus is Jesus goes from town to town, from village to village, teaching about the good news of Jesus, helping, t- telling people the message of God. And he says he, they have compassion, he has compassion on them because they are sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus, he goes and he, he lives this life of obedience. He lives this life of less. His, his vision, his plan isn't about accumulating more. It's not like, let me just continue to work and do what I can do so I can get more. That's not his life. That's not his vision. His vision is leveraging his life, using his life to tell people the good news of the gospel. So this is, this is the way of Jesus. And if you even think like when Jesus was tempted in Matthew 4, one of the final, the final things Satan tempts Jesus with is, is fame, it's wealth, it's glory. These are the things that he tempts Jesus with, and Jesus says no. Jesus walks away from this, and so, so what about you? What, are you? what are you choosing in your life? Leaving, leveraging, what are, you, what are you choosing in your life? Are you choosing the way of Jesus? Or are you being a fool? 
who is storing up wealth for themselves. The way of Jesus is a way of less. And here's one thing I want to make sure that we get. We want to live the way of Jesus? We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. This is where we find this is where we find life. We find life in being a person who's generous. We find life in being a person who is living the mission, living the rhythm that God has for us, that Jesus lays out for us. This is where we find life. Yeah, we can make a living by, by getting stuff, but we make a life by leveraging what we get, by using our work and leveraging that for the sake of the gospel, for leveraging that for, for the kingdom. And for, for us, what it all hinges on, for me and for, for, for you, is when we realize how generous God has been to us, we respond in generosity to other people. I want us to look again really quickly at, at uh, Zacchaeus. Back to chapter 19. There's just the very end of this story, something I think is really important for us. Verse 8 and 9. It says this. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, for, I have, for if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give back four times as much. Jesus replied, Salvation has come to this home today, for, the man, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. I want to make sure we don't, we don't miss what's happening here. God, Jesus isn't saying to, to Zacchaeus, Okay, since you have given your money away, now salvation will come to your house. That's not what he's saying here. I think this is important for us. What he's saying is, and what begins to happen is, salvation has come to this house, and he's responding by giving it away. Like when Zacchaeus realized the way that his record has been wiped clean, he responded, he couldn't help but wiping clean the record of other people. When he realized the way that all of his wrongs had been made right, he has to do that to other people. He's not earning his salvation here. God isn't saying to him, okay, now that you've spent your money, now I, now I can save you. That's not what's happening. It's in response to being saved that he is going and he's caring for the people that God cares about. It's in response to the salvation and the message that he's heard about Jesus that he gives back to the poor. He's giving back to the people he is wronged. He's, making their, he's righting his wrongs because of what Jesus has done for him. And the same thing, same thing is true for us when we realize, when we've been reminded of what God has done for us, we respond by being generous and giving to other people. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, we'll close on this. Here's what it says. It says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so by, by His poverty you could be made rich. Jesus became poor so that we could be made rich. We can be made rich in God. He became poor. In his poverty, we have been made wealthy. Let me just pray for us. Father God, we thank you.